Hi, this is Scott Wilkinson, host of Home Theater Geeks. In episode 63, I chat with David Cole and DJ Roller about their new company, Next 3D, which delivers high-quality 3D by cable, satellite, or online. So stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Home Theater Geeks is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Home Theater Geeks with Scott Wilkinson, recorded April 25th, 2011, episode 63, 3D, the next generation. This episode of Home Theater Geeks is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs and Blu-rays by mail in about one business day. For your free trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Hey there, Scott Wilkinson here with ultimateavmag.com and hometheater.com. This week's guest geeks are David Cole and DJ Roller, co-founders of Next3D, a very interesting company that I met at NAB uh, that offers a new way to deliver 3D via cable, satellite, and online even. Hey, David and DJ, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott. How are you? Good, thanks. Hey, Scott. Glad to be here. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you. So nice for you both to be here. Uh, those of you who are tuned into the live video stream at live.twit.tv or logged into the chat room at irc.twit.tv can post questions for Dave or DJ, and I'll pass on as many as I can. So um, let's start with a little bit of background. DJ, I know you're primarily a filmmaker, correct? That's correct. So, um, my, my back, what have you worked on? Um, my background's in, in 3D. It started about 10 or 11 years ago, and um, been involved with several milestone 3D projects from some of the first ones that came out, which was uh, Ghost of the Abyss, which was a 3D IMAX film, mm -hmm. uh, U2 3D, um, Wild Ocean 3D, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, and um, several others. So, I, yeah, I see the U2 3D poster there behind you. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Now, are, were you the director, the stereographer? What, what, what was your involvement with those projects? A 3D cinematographer. Um, each project's different, but a 3D cinematographer on uh, U2-3D. And um, on Journey to the Center of the Earth, I shot the live-action 3D sequences in Iceland. Um, but I'm also I'm a producer and a director of photography, typically. Um, right now, we have two films in production. Uh, one's called The Last Reef. And the other one is um, a Great White Shark 3D IMAX film. Um, and so that's kind of where Dave and I come together as far as uh, you know, the foundation of Next3D is, is this uh, both have a stereoscopic background and a, and a desire to get quality 3D to the home. Mm -hmm. And Dave, how, how, about, how about your background? What, uh, what brings you to this party? I'm primarily a, a, an engineer and a technologist, but also uh, an entrepreneur. And in the mid-1990s, uh, my company developed a, one of the first digital distribution systems for stereoscopic video. It was MPEG-2-based distribution system, um, which was designed as a virtual reality uh, image server or ride controller. And uh, I also developed a shutter glass product in the, the mid-1990s as a PC gaming system. Um, and so fast forward to about five years ago, I had a chance to meet DJ and we started talking about this new renaissance of 3D. And I said, well, 
interestingly enough, I have a technology um, that has has developed and matured over time, a platform uh, to encode uh, stereo and distribute it very efficiently. And we began talking about the home market and home distribution, and that's how Next3D was formed. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so what's wrong with current broadcasting, 3D broadcasting, uh, that uh, your system as we discussed at NAB, uh, works towards solving. What's happening right now um, with broadcasters, uh, satellite cable broadcasters, and even video-on-demand uh, distributors is that they're utilizing existing 2D uh, video distribution infrastructure to pump the 3D image down the wire. And in order to do that, they actually squeeze um, the two eye views that are required to get a stereo image into one frame. So they reduce the resolution in half. If you've ever tuned a, a cable channel that's broadcasting 3D, you'll, you'll see two images, so two side-by-side -side images or, or on top and bottom. In either case, what's been done is they've squeezed the image, compressed it to fit into a video frame. Um, and, and the problem with that is that you lose information uh, dramatically in one in in one dimension, either the horizontal or vertical. Uh, so your brand new three D uh, high definition three D television is actually not delivering a high def a high def three D signal. Um, in addition to that, once the image is compressed, in order to send it over the wire to you, once it's squeezed, if you will, to send it over to the wire to you, it has to be digitally compressed, and that introduces error. Um, and when the image is then reinflated from that squeezed side-by-side -side image, it actually expands that error in one dimension. So not only are you losing resolution, you're then expanding the amount of noise to signal in one dimension, which is a, uh, it's sort of two strikes against the process. And where that becomes a significant problem is that um, st stereo images, the brain, in order to perceive stereo images accurately, really needs hard edges. It needs the solid definition of an object uh, in order to say where it exists in space. And so if you compromise that by making the image quality fuzzy, um, the brain has a hard time. It struggles to position the, the, the object in space, which is why um, the two-dimensional, using a 2D infrastructure to pipe a 3D image uh, is um, a convenient approach, but, but, but it, is, it limits the quality very dramatically. Now, I'm seeing a bunch of uh, comments in the chat room about uh, people who experience getting headaches when they go to uh, 3D movies and, and so on. Um, it, does your system address this at all? Well, yeah. One of the one of the worst forms of um, eye strain that can be caused by uh, dis by stereoscopic compression is this loss of edges, or what are called occlusions, occluded fronts. So, loss of edge information causes your brain to struggle to position an object in in space, and it's a fairly insidious form of eye strain because it it, it sort of um, it gangs up on you. You don't feel it quite at first. You can watch five minutes and not really notice it. But you watch 20 minutes and you start to start, feel like you need to rub your eyes or your eyes are getting tired. Um, and so, yeah, and that, that uh, can, if, you, if you continue to watch, 
um, even though you're filling the eye strain, it can result in headaches. And so this one issue of, of edges and occlusions is probably one of, the, one of the most insidious problems with distributing 3D to the home. And our mm -hmm. system directly addresses that. So also, how does it, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna add that, you know, since, since as the audience or the viewer, since we're the ones, when you watch a 3D movie or a 3D film at a theater at home, you set your brains what's putting the two images together. Um, just like at home in the theater, Hollywood's struggling, um, and not, they're not necessarily struggling, but you've got good and bad 3D films that have come out. They're not all equal. Some are dimensionalized and some are shot in, in pure stereo with, with 3D cameras. And uh, between those, you, you've got good dimensionalization and bad dimensionalization and good 3D stereographic shooting and, and some that's bad. And, and there's been some, some flops and some, some hits. So I think across those, you know, someone might have experienced a particular film uh, that might have had bad 3D and may not have realized that they were actually, their brain was working harder to fuse the left and right eye together. And, and so, you know, that's the same thing as going home. If it's a good 3D movie, whether it's converted or, or originally shot in stereo, um, you should be able to sit and watch the whole movie and not have eye strain or not have a feeling of uh, any kind of fatigue or tiredness after you finish watching the film. Yeah, that's, this is uh, certainly an issue that needs more discussion, which is the difference between 3D content that's created well and 3D content that, that's created poorly uh, and the poorly created 3D is more, certainly going to be more likely to uh, cause eye strain and headaches and so on. Uh, Dave A. in the chat room asks, how do you guys feel about everything being made in 3D these days? DJ, I'll let you field that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, DJ. Um, you know, it's, it's a broad statement to say everything being made in 3D. I think we are going to get everything in 3D in the future. And, uh, you know, how it arrives there... Um, is, is, you know, yet to be seen, um, but it's, it's coming and, and technology is going to keep improving and we're going to end up seeing, you know, everything from news as we're seeing sports now and, uh, and movies, but um, it's all coming in 3D and, um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why 3D in different ways works, works well. Um, you know, not saying that every single thing works in 3D, but there's definitely uh, a lot of things being explored out there and, um, you know, I think it's, it's uh, getting to that right, right combination in different fields of what works. And, you know, unfortunately, 3D is really, really hard to do. Um, and it's not something that, you know, there's a lot of bright and creative minds in Hollywood and very talented people, but it's not something you can go take a, a weekend workshop and get, you know, updated on what's new in 3D so you can go out and do what you did before. It's a whole new way of thinking. And it's a whole new way of filmmaking. It's a whole new way of composing and storytelling. Um, you know, for someone to say that it works for dramatic or not for dramatic, but works for action movies, uh, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think it works on a lot of different um, types of films, um, but the way in which you approach that is completely different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, David, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I think in general, as uh, being a, a, a provider of this content to, to, to the home, we're in favor of everything being in 3D. So the more <laughs> well, prayer. okay, I'm glad you admit your bias. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> and, we, and frankly, we cast a pretty broad net when we look at content that's appropriate to send down, uh, send down the wire. It's not just Hollywood motion pictures. It's, um, there are independents out there that are doing amazing work. The, mm -hmm. Probably, uh, DJ, you know, comment on this more, but the, the, um, 
the best the standard for quality is is is, is probably some of these IMAX 3D documentaries, which are just technically stunning 3D and and stunningly beautifully shot. And in, in in addition to that, so um, you know that's again those are pretty broadly focused documentary content. DJ mentioned sports, so I think I think it's a pretty broad net. Uh, and, and there's a pretty broad appeal of adding, uh, you know, adding uh, adding the, the third dimension to to, to lots of different um, genres. Sure, but uh, Web sixty five ninety seven asks, do we really need news in three D? Well, do we need war field, you know, war correspondence in three D? Would that would that give you uh, more of an empathetic connection with what's going mm. on on the ground? Good um, point. Yeah, I think so. I, I could see I could see things where not only would something as much as the State of the Union address for just a wild example, uh, you might see expressions different from the president to, like Dave said, a war correspondent. I could see a uh, an anchor back in the newsroom doing some you know geometry breakdown because of the three dimensional data coming back and be able to uh, it might change a world event because they're able to you know glean data from the uh, from the stereoscopic images. Mm -hmm. We, uh, uh, a number of people in the chat room are also talking about what uh, James Cameron announced at NAB, which is higher frame rates. Uh, how will this uh, affect the comfort of watching 3D? Do you think he's right that, that shooting at 48 or even 60 frames per second will uh, decrease the uh, discomfort? He is absolutely correct. We, 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 we completely concur. The, the, uh, the, Temporal resolution, the, the resolution at which you catch objects moving in time also creates uh, sharper edges or, or more defined objects when they're in motion. And so just that one factor, the factor of objects moving and being able to capture them on film, uh, the higher frame rates create, uh, create sharper objects. The brain can place them in space uh, easier and it makes for a, a, a much more comfortable and much more realistic viewing experience. So we, could, we, we, you know, we couldn't agree more. In fact, our own technology for sports utilizes a variable frame rate, which can go all the way up to 60 frames a second. And and that's important. There, there, pro viewer, you probably have have uh, viewers out there in, in the chat room who've seen some 3D sports televised, where everything looks great until the play field is in motion, until the ball moves. And then once the ball is kicked or is thrown, you can't place it in space anymore because don't, there's not enough temporal resolution for the object to be drawn with sharp edges. It creates a lot of motion blur, and the brain struggles to place it in space. So uh, we're, uh, we're on exactly the same page uh, with respect to, to uh, the, the necessity for, for higher frame rates. Great. Um, F-loop in the chat room brings us back to where I wanted the next question I wanted to ask, which is, where in the chain is next th the, the next 3D product or production? Uh, encode, decode? Uh, so uh, take us through your technology and, and how it is used to deliver 3D to the home. Uh, uh, absolutely. So the core technology is actually a codec. So it's an encoder and a decoder. Um, there are we have two executions of that core technology. The first one is that we are launching a video on demand service. The first, the first client for it, the first users will be PC users. We're primarily targeting uh, users who are already doing stereoscopic gaming, so already have 3D ready PCs and have them connected to, to 3D displays. So we're building a, 
a video on demand service called Next 3D TV for those users. And where, where our technology exists in that food chain is that we are the encoder, we transmit, so we're the content delivery system, and then we are the decoder or player that you run at the other end as if you were running a Netflix client, for instance, a Netflix player. So we're at both ends of that, that spectrum. Um, we also have another business unit which is designed around um, live events. And, and in that case, again, we're at both ends of the food chain. So we're at the encode side and the decode side, but there's much more emphasis or there's, 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 there's much more um, product and engineering around the encoder, which is having to do everything that it's doing uh, to get this content to you in full HD, 3D, uh, in real time for live events. And, and so that's, that's, a, that's a different development for us. Okay, let's start with the with the encoder, uh, which I believe you you called CESE, Compound Entropy Stereoscopic Encoding. That's, That's a right. mouthful, but uh, but uh, take us through briefly how it works. Encoders have to be a mouthful. You have to come up with a long acronym, or it wouldn't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. the, the way compound entropy works actually is it's relatively descriptive. Um, there, the encoder has the capability of allocating how much complexity uh, is used to describe a frame. And it does so in a way that's aware of the stereoscopic information that's included in the frame. And when, by example, if we were transmitting a scene which includes a background that's a mountainscape and a foreground that's a moving, uh, a moving car, um, the encoder would allocate less entropy to the background because it's transmitting them twice. It needs to, it, it, it can more efficiently transmit that information uh, it, because it's essentially the same information in both the left and right eye as that's getting transmitted. Whereas there's the, the object in the foreground is quite different because of the way stereoscopic cameras work. Um, and it's in motion, which creates difference between the left eye and right eye. And that information would be given more priority in the way the encoder works. Uh, and so information that's redundant, that's being sent in both eyes, it's roughly similar, gets less allocation of, of encoder complexity than information that's novel to one or the other eye. You can see here that uh, in the video that uh, we now have an example of how, uh, how your technology works versus uh, more conventional 3D technologies. Um, and I think what you, just to reiterate what you were saying earlier, uh, you're identifying redundancies and identifying sharp edges. Am I correct about that? that? That's correct. The edges are actually a separate component of the encode. Um, the redundancy elimination or actually the, the allocation of, uh, of, of encoder complexity to stuff that's novel is one thing. That's the compound mm -hmm. entropy. Uh, okay. The other thing we actually do is preserve in a, in a uh, stream that's separate from the encoded data edge information uh, that's used to recover detail that can be lost through ordinary digital compression, which is ultimately used for encoding our, our content. And so the, that allows us to enhance edges very effectively on playback, um, which again gives us that detail that allows you to place an object in space uh, easier than if it were blurry. Mm -hmm. So if we take a look at that image one more time, um, uh, which I believe is, there it is. 
uh, we take a look at your system and we see a lot of redundancy, basically the same image in both eyes. That's correct. Uh, and uh, the result, a, a typical thing on the right, uh, a typical 3D just simply just takes those two, cuts their resolution, their horizontal resolution in half in this case, puts them side by side, and then shows them in 3D. And, and it's hard to see on this image on the stream, but you get a little bit of fuzzy edges. Yes, absolutely. Whereas on the left, you see your system where you identify the redundancy, you have a single image, and then some edge information, which results in, a much, sharp, in much sharper edges at the final end. Absolutely, that's correct. And uh, we can see that also in figure two, if uh, Burke will pull up figure two here, uh, we'll be able to see another example of what that would look like, um, in which I believe it's a, there it is, it's a cube on a background of some, some circular stuff. And yep. uh, you can, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, what, what this is illustrating actually is how important those edges are. These are fundamentally the same images. But you, you can place the object with, that has the well-defined edges that's, that's on the left in space because of the edges. That, that boundary information gives the brain what it needs to say that object exists in front of the background. Uh, the object on the right, because of the loss of that information, makes it much more difficult for the brain to know where, where it exists. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happens in stereo is... Those, that cube would be presented to you with a lot of what's called parallax information if it were to be floating out of the screen, which means there's actually a visible separation between the position of the object going to your left eye and the, uh, the position of the object going to your right eye. So your brain gets, your, your brain is asked to present, to, to accept a difference in that information as uh, to, to, in, to mean that the object should be in front of the screen, should be coming, should be coming forward in the screen. But mm -hmm. by denying the brain the edge information, you confuse the, the monocular cue that the brain always uses to tell where the object should be in space, and it creates a rivalry. Your brain says, well, it, the parallax information is there. I should be seeing this in front of the screen but I can't tell where the edges are, so I have no way to actually separate it from the background, and that causes very serious eye strain. Mm. Uh, DJ, did, did I hear you want to jump in here? I was just commenting earlier that the, uh, that second image, I think, showed a little bit better, even on the stream, that uh, you know, the, the sharper edge, which is you know, really the information your brain needs to help put, put it back together, it really just means you're not having to work as hard. Um, which it really makes it's unfortunately we can't show it right here on on uh, on right now, but it's uh, it's it's pretty dramatic to have the edges on and then the edges off. It's um, especially in a test where you watch like an entire movie, um, you know, beyond a five minute demo, you can really walk away with a, a complete feeling of like you just watched a HD movie or you know you, you feel tired and you're not sure why. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And then the other uh, advantage, well, one advantage of this process, of this approach that you're taking, is that uh, it cuts down on the required bandwidth to send 3D, correct? That's exactly right. And so using, um, using the compression, we can achieve the visual equivalent to a 3D Blu-ray disc at about 8 megabits a second, which is, um, would allow uh, users of... of 
DSL or cable modems typically to receive that in real time and streaming from us and not even not have to wait uh, for it to buffer. So um, that, that again, the, the sort of uh, we put, you, you can put the quality of what you can get over the wire at about eight megabits on par visually with what a 3D Blu-ray disc uh, looks like. And, and that experience for most consumers is actually very good. The, the 3D Blu-ray content that's out there is by and large very high quality and the experience is, is, is quite good and doesn't cause eye strain. So, so that's sort of the visual, um, uh, that's the brass ring, if you will, is, is mm-hmm. sort of hitting that, that, that mark for movies with 3D Blu-ray, not for sports or, or, or fast action, because that actually, that's a, that's a, that, that's a different set of challenges. <laughs> F-Loop in the chat room asks, how is this technology different from Blu-ray multi-view coding? Well, MVC is primarily, the multi-view coding, uh, MVC, uh, is an extension to uh, MPEG-4, for those of you who don't know, that, that, that um, does enable, uh, is, is a relatively efficient way to take um, a left and right eye image pair, a stereo pair, and at the uh, post the actual uh, encode process, eliminate some redundancies. And so it is... MVC encoding is another form, separate separate from ours, in a, another form of what's called differential encoding, which can get rid of redundancies. Uh, the reality, the practical reality is, uh, however, that MVC has been primarily optimized for Blu-ray, where um, uh, bandwidth isn't really an issue. It's, it's, it's fixed, right? It's 40 megabits a second, and it always will be, and capacity is not a factor. Capacity is plenty for a two-hour, uh, you know, a ninety-minute movie. So um, that MVC hasn't really been optimized for for low bit rates. And so what what we're able to do is achieve um, a visual quality of um, that Blu-ray encode at say let, let's say thirty to thirty-five megabits. Um, at somewhere around eight megabits, because we're we've spent much more time optimizing for the for, for for lower lower bit rates. Now you mentioned earlier that brings up the point you mentioned earlier about um, your codec being frame rate adaptive, uh, and you mentioned eight megabits per second, which is pretty low compared to Blu-ray, but it's still pretty high compared to what most people get in the United States in terms of their bandwidth. Um, I read someplace recently that uh, the U.S. in 2010 was number 30 in the world in terms of average per capita bandwidth available to consumers at just under 8 megabits, 7.78, I think it was, uh, compared to, say, South Korea, which was number one at 20-something. Right. Um, So there aren't... I mean, yeah, sure, there are some people who get 8 megabits, particularly those who are fortunate enough to be in an area with Fios, or something like that, but uh, generally cable or DSL delivered uh, bandwidth isn't going to be anywhere near eight megabits. Well, uh, the the you know it's, it's sort of a statsmanship issue. There's there it's, we're sort, you're sort of skating to where the puck is going here in terms of in terms of bandwidth. When we first started looking at a streaming product that didn't require progressive download, the targets were you know two to three 
uh, megabits a second. But just to be to to be clear, eight megabits is our highest quality product. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that 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 is that there's you know no resolution compromise uh, at, at if you're receiving us if you're receiving us streaming it at, at eight megabits. If you have a connection that's lower than that, uh, you have two choices for non-live events. One is that you allow for a progressive download, which means that your the client will buffer and tell you when you'll be ready to start viewing. And if you're using uh, a video on demand service that's in that's in high def right now, you already if you're below eight megabits and you're using something like Netflix or Vudu, you already will have experienced what I'm talking about, which is this progressive download that will give you a barometer and tell you when you're enough of the content has arrived to start viewing. So you'll have that option from us. Um, mm-hmm. However, you also can bracket the quality down. Um, and if it's a live event, you'll you'll have to because you have to receive it. This is not a this is not something that we would progressively download to you, um, and therefore the way we bracket down to six and then four and even lower megabits a second is in a uh, is in a way that um, is designed to first preserve the stereoscopic uh, experience. It's sort of a first do no harm, and so we actually change the resolution of the transmitted image in a way that reduces the amount of that reduces some depth information um, or the amount of difference between the eye views as we transmit and there's some mathematic in here and some of its proprietary but the effect is that the content becomes um, less likely to cause eye strain as we reduce the um, bandwidth that we're distributing to you, uh, to you, and it's in very small amounts. So we drop quality in a way that still preserves the information that's very important to you to have a comfortable 3D viewing experience. Um, and, and so we preserve that above other aspects of, of, of the content. So it's more, you'll, you'll, you'll see a very high quality image on a 3D television at six megabits or even, even at, at five megabits a second using our streaming service. Yeah. And uh, speaking of streaming, uh, before we go on, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode of Home Theater Geeks, Netflix. I'm going to ask you about Netflix in a minute there, you guys. But uh, before I do, I just want to say uh, to those who might not know about Netflix, which is probably very few people on this uh, on this podcast, that they deliver movies directly to your home, movies and TV shows directly to your home uh, by streaming uh, or by hard hard disk by mail in uh, one business day. Um, but with streaming, you can watch uh, thousands of TV shows and, and movies instantly stream directly to your PC or Mac or to your TV or Blu-ray player, which are now almost all equipped to handle that directly, uh, is, as well as your game systems, Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii. Uh, you can watch as many movies as you want uh, for one low price, and there's never a late fee or due date or anything like that. Uh, one uh, streaming pick of the week I'd like to bring to your attention is uh, Star Trek, the new 2009 Star Trek, starring Chris Pine and uh, Zachary Kinto and uh, directed by J.J. Abrams. Uh, most of you out there know this movie already. It's uh, a reboot of the Star Trek franchise, and being a hardcore Trekker myself... I was quite pleased with it. Um, it brought Star Trek into a new generation, even 
more so than the next generation. Uh, and I really liked the story and the characters and uh, the whole thing was, I thought, really well done and uh, a beautiful Blu-ray, certainly, if you want to uh, go that route. But uh, if you want to go streaming, which is it's now available as a stream, uh, it's also an excellent choice. Um, you can instantly watch this movie or choose from thousands of others, uh, TV episodes and movies when you register for a free, free trial membership. Just go to netflix.com slash twit. Be sure to sign up for your free trial at netflix.com slash twit. So, uh, so speaking of which, uh, have you guys been talking with Netflix or other streamers about adding your uh, technology to their stream? We're, we're talking or, with uh, a lot of, or, a lot of people Maybe right you now. can't talk about it. <laughs> we have not spoken with Netflix yet, no. Well, that would certainly be a good, a good company to, uh, to talk to, uh, certainly given that you're streaming. I don't think anyone's streaming 3D yet, are they? Uh, Voodoo is side-side. Ah, okay. Side-side. So, so, but, yeah, if, if, uh, if your sponsors at Netflix are listening, we're, um, call us. We're, we'd love to talk to you. <laughs> uh, all, all, all kidding aside, um, yeah, it, it makes sense for us to uh, to, to, to look uh, for partnerships that are equivalent to some of the things that we're doing in the in the live streaming uh, realm, uh, where we can build that piece of the infrastructure that we're good at, which is delivering the content at a, you know the best bang for your bit your bit in three D, <laughs> uh, and 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 not build out all, all, all the other components. That, that said, um, you know, next 3D TV will go live and it has given us an opportunity to uh, learn a tremendous amount to be involved in, and it's been a very hands-on uh, experience in terms of getting content from the providers, encoding, making sure that our quality metrics are preserved in the process of, of, of getting the product ready for delivery. So I, I don't think, um, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, was an essential part of developing the product as it, as it is right now. So we had to build what we had to build, and mm -hmm. essentially it is a, a delivery service. But it would also make an excellent addition to, um, uh, to, to, to another video-on-demand service provider's uh, portfolio. And you're certainly willing and able and eager to talk to all, any and all uh, content providers, I'm sure. I know you're oh. working with some now. What, who, who can you talk about? If anyone, <laughs> DJ, can you? Sure. Um, the only one we can talk about right now. There's there's a recent announcement which uh, on uh, expanded um, alliance with uh, Turner Broadcasting Systems. And currently, um, in this phase of uh, what we're doing, we're uh, we're working on a live uh, full HD 3D uh, streaming um, uh, um, setup for for them. And that's we're in the middle of testing right now for full mm -hmm. HD uh, live streaming of uh, sporting events and things like that. Um, we're talking with a lot of people right now, but uh, we can't uh, talk about who all we're talking to, but uh, it's uh, you know, probably a lot of uh, you know, the obvious suspects. Sure. sure. Um, I was going to point out one other thing, back on that quality thing, so, something uh, some of your audience, if, if some of the audience, if they're curious to test themselves, would be to take a, a, a 3D Blu-ray they might have that's also available on demand, whether it be through you know um, a, a streaming or, or um, you know their, their cable or satellite provider, 
and uh, and actually when they watch the Blu-ray and then watch the same movie in side side or top bottom, you can really see what uh, we've all been talking about here about those uh, those edges being gone and, and the and the quality having to work harder, especially if you watch the Blu-ray first and then go and watch something on cable or satellite. You'll see very quickly. Um, even if something like Avatar or some of the IMAX films that are there, what's, what the big difference is in not having that quality there. Now, I, I, I don't imagine there are that many uh, titles that are available on 3D Blu-ray that are also being broadcast in 3D. There are probably a few, but not very many. Do you, uh, do you guys offer any demonstrations of this, side, you know, not <laughs> side-by-side in the sense of... Uh, regular side-by-side -side versus next 3d on your website or or somewhere where people can go and and check it out directly like that well we are planning on launching a beta uh, very soon there is a sign-up page on our website um that, that uh, if someone's you know interested in in the beta uh, they can go and sign up and and we'll notify them as soon as we're we're uh, you know getting close to that which is pretty soon um as far as uh um, I'm trying to think uh, if there's some of the slides that we've we've given you are on our website right now. They are. Um, they are. Okay. And they probably can see them there. You know, outside of the stream, you could probably see some of those images that Scott put up earlier, uh, sharper, and really see the you know what's what's being said there in, in a better way. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, uh, that we do we do have a. Um, one more image that I wanted to put up. Uh, it's uh, Figure Three uh, as I send it up to our engineer. And uh, gives you a few other examples. Here you go. It may not be so easy to see uh, on the on the stream that we're sending out, uh, but uh, it is clear when you when you look at the the picture that I originally saw uh, that uh, the image on the uh, I can't can't tell whether it's right or left uh, <laughs> on this stream. Unfortunately, uh, David, maybe you can help me out here. Well, actually, it's hard. It's really hard to see from the from the streaming image. Um, but the the PDF is available at next3d.com uh, in the About Us section. There, you can download the, the PDF at high resolution uh, ah, and go. be able to actually see those exact images that you just put up and comparative encoding that's in our format and then encoded side side to really be able to tell the difference. Mm -hmm. When you know, will I'm sorry? Go right ahead. No, I was going to say the test that DJ recommended is an interesting one for a lot of people um, because there, there's, a, there, there's this unique sort of experience that happens when you watch more than just a few minutes of 3D. You can tolerate very bad 3D for a few minutes. Um, it's, it takes a while, and at least some of the forms of eye strain, some of the worst ones, they're a bit cumulative, so it takes a little while before they start to register. So, or just... You know, a lot of people, even in our industry, who will watch five-minute series of five-minute demos over and over again, and say, "Well, yeah, that looks that looks great," and and <laughs> the reality is, after half an hour, your eyes are either burning or every, everything's fine. So, you know, that the the and 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 Blu-ray Blu-ray does sort of set the bar. It, 3D Blu-ray is actually very good, and the viewing experience is um, at least the medium doesn't make it. Doesn't doesn't make it worse. So if it's good going in, it, it it'll be a good experience on your home t your home screen, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, you can see. And that that really isn't the case with the broadcast formats right at the moment. Uh, the quality of the content itself brings up another question that is uh, the skittering around the chat room right now, which is 
okay, producing 3D from scratch, we need to educate uh, directors and uh, stereographers and so on how to do that well. What about converting 2D to 3D, uh, which we've seen some good examples of, again, and some bad examples of? Um, I, th how, I think it's... How do you guys feel about that? I, I uh, personally think there's some great films that are you know, being uh, converted right now, and, and the same as, uh, as filmmaking. It, I think uh, there's conversions being done in a very high-quality way, and they have filmmakers involved that know stereo and know 3D and that are in there in the trenches making uh, creative decisions on where things or objects are placed. And then there's other conversion processes that are not so good or they might be good, but the, you know, a producer or studio might just hand off the material to someone and say, go do it and think it's more of a mechanical, just run it through the system. And I still think it comes back to the same as making a film. There's an organic side to it. So even though there's a big technical team of people uh, doing the conversion, you still need someone there making those organic, uh, creative decisions um, to, to make that um, you know as good as it can be. I was talking to one guy at NAB who um, who said that really there's no difference between content that was generated in 3D to begin with and co 2D content that was converted to 3D if it was done well, because you're still having this. Um, simulated 3D, basically stereoscopic imagery, which, which isn't the same as actually looking out into the real world. Uh, so if it's done well in either case, there really should be no difference between them. Would you agree? I, I don't agree with that. Um, the synth a synthesized view is different optically than a, than a binocular view because the, your eyes and two cameras can see around the edges of objects. It's, 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 it's a factor that's called roundness when you talk about how a 3D scene is composed. Um, that view can't be synthesized. You can't create that. With, with, that, with that information missing, you don't get that back. Um, the best conversion processes use an, artist, an artistic technique to recreate it but it's a simulation and it's, it's open to the amount of, as DJ said, the amount of, of, of work. And this is sometimes hand painting in and rotoscoping information that's missing from the frame. So sort of hand retouching each frame in a, in a very artistic kind of lovingly way. Um, and, and so, you know, you're coming from an artist's mind, putting that information back on the screen, but it's definitely missing. Uh, and it's only an approximation when you synthesize it. Whereas the camera sees two views and the, and the information, uh, if the cameras are configured properly, the information is there uh, and natural and the physics of the, that describe the, the, the scene are, are, are pr appropriate. I, I would also add that uh, I, I think as far as the kind of holy grail of 3D filmmaking is the higher frame rates that are being discussed now and, uh, and are being shot on, um, on, on films. and. You know, really, it's a film that's shot originally in stereoscopic 3D, but there's a hybrid to that, which is um, using all the muster of the word we've all heard, movie magic, is, is to take and shoot in 3D, but there's actually things you can do in computers and in conversions to uh, enhance the, the 3D and the, and the creativity of a film, where there might be shots you would do in 2D that you're going to dimensionalize that would might be impossible to do with a 3D camera, um, something that's not, not an in-camera effect that you could actually accentuate better by doing it in a computer 
but not necessarily mm -hmm. the whole film. Um, and, and it might be literally a brief shot here or there, but it allows you to you know, trick the brain and you think you see something you didn't see. Um, so there is a combination where there is, but, but I agree with, with what Dave said as far as uh, um, you know, just taking something and converting it is, is just as good as I, I would disagree. Mm -hmm. your, com your comments there led me to uh, uh, think about another comment that that same guy made off, to off this particular topic, but what you were talking about earlier, that there are actually some shots in Avatar that are converted from 2D. He said that, uh, uh, I've forgotten who the guy was, one of the, maybe it was Pace, I've forgotten who, uh, there were some, a few shots, isolated shots that had trouble in 3D that, that didn't work for some reason. The cameras didn't work or something. They couldn't go back and reshoot it. So they took the 2D and converted it. Uh, and it's publicly known that there are like 12 shots apparently that, that actually got converted <laughs> from 2D to 3D in this, in this 3D uh, pian, this, this movie that was supposed to be the end all and be all of 3D. Well, I, I, I would say it's probably not the cameras. I've, I've worked with those cameras and shot with them extensively, the base cameras, and uh, they're very good cameras. But there are, there are places, um, it's kind of hard to articulate over, um, over, over this call, but there are types of shots that you could have a meritable reason why you'd want to creatively convert that shot. And I don't know that there's anything technically wrong with that. Um, you know, there's, you know, the term smoke and mirrors is pretty, pretty heavy duty term that comes and used, you know, liberally in, in Hollywood or, or creative license. And at the end of the day, if it helps the filmmaker tell their story or create the effect that they're going for, um, you know, obviously, I, I don't know how many shots it, it was, if it was 12 or two or 10 or, or whatever, but, um, you know, obviously Cameron's a very capable filmmaker. And uh, I, I would imagine if he thought it was going to be better one way or the other, he would do, you know, what, what he feels uh, is the best way to get done what he's trying to envision. Sure. And, of course, as we, men as we mentioned earlier, uh, he announced at NAB and earlier than that even that uh, he was going to go to higher frame rates. F-Loop in the chat room says 48 is a scam to sell new TVs and Blu-ray players. Uh, there's no 48 hertz profile, uh, 3D, uh, no products yet. Uh, how are we going to transition to that, do you think? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, Dave might be able to answer better. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, Blu-rays because they only handle 24 frames. Uh, I can tell you as a filmmaker uh, uh, and, and all business aside that I don't know that there's any secret thing that people are trying to sell new TVs uh, or anything like that, but I can tell you that 48 and 60 looks amazing in 3D, and uh, if we could show it or look at it, it's, um, you know, someone like Cameron's not going to go shoot a whole other movie if he didn't think it's going to make people, you know, knock their socks off. And he's not the only one. There's a lot of people looking at it very closely. Yeah, exactly. In terms of the home market, it, it's, it, it is accurate that there are no standards around uh, those frame rates for full 1080. Uh, but we already, Next3D's technology already transmits 720 high def at 60 frames a second very successfully. So, mm -hmm. for, for again, for live uh, for live content and fast-moving content, it's it, it, it's essential. Um, uh, to and and the equipment that you have in terms of a display at home, your television is more than capable of doing 1080 at, at 60 at a 60 hertz refresh rate in 3D. The the problem, unfortunately, that we have uh, as an industry is that the connection between whatever is 
producing the signal, be it your cable box or your PC or your Blu-ray player, and the TV is HDMI 1.4, which is unfortunately and somewhat tragically limited at 1080 to 24 hertz. Uh, this gets us right in the heart, and it really also gets the gaming community who would certainly like to be playing Crisis 2 at full 1080 on their brand new 3D TV, but they can't because you can't play that game at 24 hertz. Uh, you need the, the full rate refresh rate, you need 60 hertz. So um, there needs to be a give here, and uh, it's maybe it's a, you know, it, it, it certainly falls on, I think, the, you know, there, there are standards to be developed around the uh, uh, around these higher frame rates, but really, from a technological perspective, we could send you 1080, uh, 60 to your PC or other other Next 3D client tomorrow. Um, it's H HDMI 1.4. The wire itself is what's sort of standing in the in, in the way, and that's not a big deal. Although it may mean an equipment rev. For, for lots of folks, and so that is that that is a big deal. But from a, it doesn't require a major reinnovation, certainly of the TV or display technology. They're 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 capable of doing it. But it's something we should be addressing right now because you know the more this product, more this technology becomes becomes penetrated into the market uh, with this built-in limitation, the, the the more difficult it is to, to sort of move the market up to higher frame rates. So this is a this is a huge issue. And uh, one that I think you know it's going to needs to be addressed by by standards committees first, and uh, and and James Cameron obviously is one of the best spokesmen for for making these things happen, and 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 the gaming the PC gaming industry is also hugely important in the in the sort of making folks aware that this needs to happen. Uh, considerate in the chat room asks, is there any place where the average Joe can go and actually see 48 hertz, uh, 48 FPS? Is it a, is it shown anywhere that people can go see it? There used to be show scan theaters that there were only, unfortunately, they, were, they weren't 3D, um, but very high, high speed frame rates, the show scan technology. Um, but I, in terms of seeing it in 3D right now, no. Um, that probably the first, uh, DJ, you, if I'm missing something, chime in let me know, but probably one of the first ways to see it is going to be 72060 using our beta. And if you sign up for it, you'll, it, it's free. It's something you can download and, and see on your 3D-ready PC, and that's probably 45 days away. I mean, it, you know, maybe in a crude, in a crude sense, um, maybe a crude comparison is that, like, right now, if you watch a Hollywood movie that's shot at 24 frames, there's motion blurring and, and, and things in there. And if you watch... Uh, you know, Monday Night Football um, is shot at even in 60i. You, you get that that uh, action is captured there, uh, which you know, which is different than 60p. Um, I think that you know some of the 48 and 60 conversations also has to do with the digital cinema and the servers that want to be served to the projectors and so on uh, right now versus you know in a few years. Um, and uh, you know, the the ultimate is to have 60p. Um, but, uh, you know, 40 is out there, I think, for a myriad of reasons, probably more than we can go into, you know, in, in, in today's uh, talk. But um, I think there's information out there about it. And, uh, um, but there's reasons and merits for both. Um, but I don't know of anywhere else other than downloading our client, as Dave said, in, in the near future would be one way for someone to test it themselves. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if there's any other ways to show it right now. You said you're going to be shooting live sports at 720p60. Is that correct? 
there there are people who are shooting 720p60 right now. Um, but uh, I mean, in terms of, in terms of what's going to be available from next 3D TV. Yes. Initially, it, it, yes. It, it'll be adaptive. It'll be 60 um, when it's needed. So 60 when it counts, and it will be less when it's when it's not needed, and that means when there's not so much motion and action. But yeah, at the top of the when it's running full bore, you'll be getting 720, uh, 60 frames a second from us. Mm -hmm. uh, F Loop asks, why why even consider 48? Why not just go to 60 to begin with? I, I think DJ's point is is the, the it, it, it's it, that's an infrastructure issue with. Uh, digital uh, cinema projectors and the servers that are connected to them. Mm -hmm. And so it may, it may be more uh, compatible with the existing infrastructure to go to 48 rather than, rather than 60. I think that's the big issue, isn't it, DJ? I, I, th I think so. That's one of them. It's it probably the same as saying, why not just go all digital or all film? Uh, there's still thousands of theaters out there. So, you know, movies are released in, you know, as many as 14, 16 different formats and, and not just, you know, different formats of digital and film uh, when they come out. And uh, so, you know, it's very possible that a film might get shot in 60 and released in 48 to the theaters that can handle it with their current digital infrastructure and, and theaters that have upgraded to 60 will do that. Um, just like we have 3D theaters right now that have you know, really nice large screens and, and some 3D theaters uh, have smaller screens. Um, so, you know, and then you can choose if you want to go to the big screen and drive a little farther or, or go to the one that's next door. <laughs> uh, Cinetech Geek in the chat room asks, why only 720 at 60 and not full 1080? Uh, Dave, I think you addressed this a moment ago, but if you could just go over it again. It's HDMI is the problem. We'd love to send you 1080 uh, at 60, but if you're connecting your PC to uh, one of the... 3D ready TVs on the market right now. You're limited. The, those televisions can't uh, can't go faster than 24 frames per second at 1080. And that's that's actually it's not the television at all. It's the HDMI specification, HDMI 1.4, uh, that that that, the, that those televisions carry. So it's an HDMI thing, unfortunately. Right. Um, <clears throat> HDMI 1.4 went to uh, uses the same bandwidth as 1.3, which is 10.2 gigabits, and I don't remember the calculation off the top of my head. But there's enough uh, bandwidth there. It's, if you do the math, there is enough bandwidth to carry the signal. It's 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 not where the the problem lies. I I, I you know I don't really want to get into it. There's a, there's some politics involved, but the reality <laughs> the reality is that. Um, the uh, existing HDMI chipsets, uh, the chipsets that were on the market when 3D sort of barreled its way in the consumer electronics market were, were e it was easier to go to rev them to be able to, to do HDMI 1.4 than it was to go beyond that in terms of, of specification. Um, so anyway, that, that, that sort of, it was, it, it was, I think, more of a silicon, what was easy to put on silicon and get the televisions in the market um, quickly. DJ, did you want to uh, chime in there? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. I think we covered it just now. Okay, very good. Um, let's see. Uh, Eric Duckman in the chat room says, if you want to stop action blur, you're going to have to go way faster than 60 frames per second. How about a thousandth of a second? That would be good. <laughs> well, sure, it would. <laughs> uh, absolutely. More is probably, you know, 
more 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 content you know we'll, we'll, we'll continue to to be better and you know that where that uh where the physiology of your um your eye and the image retention of your eye meets frame rate is probably faster than 60. Uh, I think there's some pretty, you know, there's been some pretty interesting studies on this. Douglas Trumbull, for one, did a tremendous amount of study in terms of frame rate and the physio physiology of, of audiences in, in, in 2D. Um, and so, you know, they're, 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 uh, that being said, you have to couple to a standard, right? Because the cameras, the camera back end, the decks that record, the compression technology just on the, on the production side and then post-production and then obviously encoding transmission and display, that whole ecosystem has to play. And so we've got to reach out for, you know, the, 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 the next spec. Having seen 60, I can tell you uh, it's pretty darn good for stuff that's moving fast. And I mean, that's moving really fast sports, mm -hmm. really high speed sports. So, um, and, and, you know, we, we, We've seen there have been a lot of very fast, you know, a lot of tests with lots of motion, NASCAR, basketball, um, and and so um, I think you know we're it's a great next rung on the ladder to grab for, and it, it's gonna it's gonna make for uh, infinitely more comfortable viewing uh, than than we're getting right now at a twenty four. What do you think about Thunderbolt? Do you think that offers a uh, uh, an option beyond HDMI? Do you think that might be the next next way to go to get a higher uh higher frame rate to the TV? Yeah, I don't know if it's DisplayPort or it's Thunderbolt or it's, you know, a rev of, of, of HDMI. Um, frankly, I would be more hopeful because of, because of HDMI's influence in the consumer electronic uh, uh, current, their, their current sort of installed base and footprint with the consumer electronics manufacturers and every major CD manufacturer is, 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 is pretty involved in HDMI. I, I, would, I would think they might be where we'd want to you know, we'd sort of hang our initial hope for for a consumer standard that, that that's faster, mm -hmm. um, but there are competing standards. Thunderbolt's an example, an excellent example, and HDMI is actually becoming more like that. The last standard included an an Ethernet, you know, an IP protocol or Ethernet communication on the wire. So they're starting to converge, and DisplayPort's got tons of bandwidth. It's you know, it'd be we'd be you know. If we all had display ports, this would be a mood issue. Um, but but um, again, I think you know it's going to be it's going to be what is convenient and, and accessible for the CE manufacturers to integrate. Um, and you know the you know the, the the tradition has been for the last since you know HD. The tradition has been HDMI. Right. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we have to say goodbye because we've come to the end of a fascinating hour. Thank you so much, Dave and DJ, for uh, enlightening us about Next3D. And uh, you can, people can go and, and look at your stuff at, on uh, Next3D.com and uh, sign up for the beta of the Next3D TV stream and take a look at uh, what you guys are doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for all the great questions, too. Yeah, thanks to the chat room. They've been, they've been coming up with some great chat rooms, that's for sure. So again, that's next3d.com. And uh, my online homes are ultimateavmag.com and hometheater.com. You can email me at scott at twit.tv and follow me on Twitter at htgeekscott. Next week, my guest geek is scheduled to be Ron Williams, an imaging consultant and an industry veteran with lots of interesting stories to tell uh, about his days and years and decades in the uh, TV and movie industry. So I sure hope you will join me for that. 
Until then, geek out. <laughs>